Hi, I'm Jalen Rose. Welcome to this week's episode of Renaissance Man, which is themed, Let Your Passion Be Your Purpose, featuring superstar actor Michael Ely. Let's go. Hi, I'm Jalen Rose, and welcome to the Renaissance Man podcast, proudly presented by the New York Post, a show where we cover trends in fashion, entertainment, current events, and everything in between. Each Thursday, tell a friend to tell a friend. Also, check out the column each week. Also, leave a five-star rating. Leave a comment. Who you want me to have on the show? What subject you want me to talk about? Send me some questions. You want some advice on anything? Don't hesitate to reach out. The Renaissance Man, I'm here for you. This week's theme is let your passion be your purpose. So imagine being a member of the Fab Five, wearing a bald head, black shoes, black socks, long shorts, doing what you can to change the game. How about I wanted to embark on another career? multimedia, communications, radio, TV, film. It was my major. I hoped I was going to go to the NBA. It was my plan. It was my goal. But I didn't realize I would play 13 years. was challenging in a lot of ways because as an athlete, some people look at you like you're just going to show up, get the opportunity, and then all of a sudden they turn on the camera and realize, oh, just because I have points, rebounds, and assists, that don't necessarily mean I could talk about somebody else's game But I knew I was going to be good before I even started because I was playing video games my entire life and television, ColecoVision, Atari 2600, Atari 5200, Nintendo, all of the video games. And you know what we had to do when we wasn't playing? You couldn't sit on the sideline and pick your nose and fall asleep. Malcolm Pelmore made you commentate the next game. That's right. And he beat me a lot. And not realizing just doing it naturally, all of a sudden, I recognized I was announcing these games. I was learning the players, their strengths, their weaknesses, their habits. Little did I know that flame, that match, sparked my love for sports commentary. I knew that one day that I wanted to be one of the best sports commentators in the game. And I can't front. As an athlete, taking your academics serious, people would laugh. They would giggle. They would snicker. They would think that I was just doing this because I needed to take some credits, not knowing that I was truly serious and passionate about it. And therefore, nobody knows your passion and nobody knows your purpose but you. And as I look back over my journey, in multimedia and sports, I realized it wasn't necessarily what I do. It's why I do it. And that why is my purpose. And my purpose is simply L-O-V-E, love. I love my job. I love my family. I love my friends. I love waking up in the morning. I love my faith. I love myself. 
So in everything I do, I do it with love. Like my next guest, he performs his craft with love. Up next, superstar actor, Michael Ely. The one thing I appreciate about this amazing Renaissance Man platform is I get a chance to talk to some of my favorite people, but also some of the people that I get a chance to watch them grow and mature in the game. Please welcome one of the most talented people in acting. He's a philanthropist. My brother, Michael Ely, joining me. Thanks a lot, my brother. Hey, man, nice to see you again. Nice to see you again, as always. As always. We did come up together. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. We did. Yeah, we came up together. So what inspired you to be an actor? Oh, man. So for me, it was, um, you know, kind of kind of random, actually. Like, I, I obviously grew up watching movies like everybody else. But what really did it for me was some, some friends of mine were making a movie. They made a movie right after we graduated high school. And I saw it after... I finished my first year in college. And what I learned was when I saw the movie, I thought I could do better. So I was like, well, next time you guys do a movie, let me know and I'll, I'll be your guy. I'm going to be your guy. And they were like, yeah, okay. And then sure enough, the next summer they wrote another movie and they were like, look, we're going to do this. You know, you said you wanted to be the guy then come audition. And I was like, audition, like, like for y'all. You know, <laughs> sure enough, you know, I ended up auditioning with them and, you know, they had some other guys from the neighborhood come through and audition as well, which was interesting. And needless to say, I got the part. So I spent summer of 1993, I want to say, working on this movie with them. Now, we never finished this movie, but the seed had been sown. I knew I was hooked at that point. I knew that everything I was going to try to do after that was going to be kind of heading in this direction. And so, so that's what I did. And as you acknowledged, we met on your first big break, a movie that I know that was completed because I was in it. Barbershop. Right. And we were in the same scene at the same time, which is all love. But we also hear five years before that you were actually a waiter. Yeah. Even not even five years. I was a waiter like six months before that. You were a waiter for five years before you got your opportunity with Barbershop? Yeah, yeah. Barbershop kind of came. I mean, it's just divine intervention in a lot of ways. So I had come out to L.A. I was, I was waiting tables in New York. I had done a couple of projects, one of which was a pilot for ABC. And that didn't get picked up. So I was back in the restaurant. And then... I decided to come out to L.A. for a couple of weeks just to see what it's like to pound the pavement out there, uh, out here. And uh, I came out and a buddy of mine named Russell Hornsby, phenomenal actor. He told me about auditions for a movie called Barbershop. And so needless to say, I started putting things in motion with my people in New York to get me an audition and da 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 da. They got me a pre-read with the casting director's associate. <laughs> And from that pre-read, I was able to get to the director for a read. And I read three characters. And he, all he said to me was, nice choices. That was it. And that's all I needed to hear. Because after that, 
I decided I left that audition and decided to move to LA because LA at that time gave me an opportunity to be in the room with the director. Unlike New York back then, a lot of times you put yourself on tape and they sent it out and you never saw it again. <laughs> if you heard, you heard. If you didn't, you didn't. But this one, I was like, okay, so I get a chance to be in the room with the director. I need to do whatever it takes to make sure I have that kind of impact in the room. And so I, I um, 12 days later, moved to Los Angeles. That's what's up. Yeah. Do you have a funny or a crazy story about your experience as a waiter? And what did it teach you? Yes, a couple things. <laughs> One, the first and foremost is never mess with a waiter. You know what I mean? If you don't like it, you don't like your service, get out of there clean, don't eat. So that was one thing. The other thing was I learned that a lot of, like I, would, I, I was able to study people's like, um, like body movements and how people's behavior patterns, right? So you would see a guy come in with a girl and I could tell if it was the first date. Because, you know, cats on a first date is like, yeah, what would you like? Yeah, okay. Yeah, um, uh-huh. Yeah, whatever she likes, whatever she wants. That's cool. Yeah, and let the lady order first. Absolutely. So chivalrous, so chivalrous, right? And then, you know, a couple months later, they come in with the same girl, and it's like, you know, what, what, what can I get you? And it's like, yeah, let me get these uh, rice and beans and some jerk chicken. and um, you know, give me a rum punch. What you want? <laughs> <laughs> so you could tell, you could tell like the dude, he had already hit it. He was good. <laughs> he was like, you know, he felt real comfortable and all that chivalry just died. You know, a lot of it just died. And it really, it kind of, it kind of peaked me to the game of, you know, trying to never, never try to stop being chivalrous. You know what I mean? Like pay attention to that. You know what I mean? Always court your lady. Absolutely. So now that you've achieved an amazing level of success, mm-hmm. where's some of your favorite places to dine? Okay. Out here in L.A., there's a couple restaurants like um, Bavel, Jelena's. Those are like some of my favorites out here. On the East Coast in New York, man, I got to be honest with you, I don't even know what's there anymore because, you know, I know COVID has really, you know, kind of crushed some things. In Chicago, I say girl and the goat. Oh, man. Yeah. This, I mean, yeah, I'm just hoping some of these restaurants make it through. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Because it's, um, it's kind of scary out there right now, especially in the restaurant business. The theme for this episode is let your passion be your purpose. After all the success you've achieved over the years, what's kept you being passionate about your craft? A good question. I, I think mostly I still love it, right? And what I've learned about it over the years that no matter how much the, the business has changed, no matter how much the business model has changed, what I've learned is there's still some purity in what I do, right? So I just recently shot a pilot for ABC and it was my first project working under the COVID protocol. Mm-hmm. And people were like, yo, how was it? Is it different? Is it what? And yeah, there's a whole bunch of stuff happening, but from the moment the director yells action to the moment he yells cut, it still felt the same. And so in a lot of ways, the purity of what I, what I do, whether it's on television or film, is still there. And the enjoyment and the excitement is still there. You know, getting back to the stage is something I'm longing to do. I don't know when theaters will open back up again. But there's a purity in what I do, and I'm still passionate about it. And lastly, what I've learned is 
it's a journey, right? Like people, like you just said, you know, you, you've accomplished so much. And in a lot of ways I have, but in a lot of ways I have so much more to do. And I feel like what I've learned is there's a journey here. There's a journey that transcends the destination, if that makes sense, right? So for me, what I've learned is that my journey, my process is what I should enjoy because the destination means it's kind of over, right? <laughs> like for a lot of people, you know, they get into this game and I guess, you know, you can speak to this. You guys kind of came into the league pursuing a championship, right? That's the goal. Mm-hmm. And then once you get one, then what? Like what's the expectation, right? Yeah, exactly. One more. One more, right? Once you get five or six, then what? Right? <laughs> like you've reached the pinnacle multiple times, but you still have over half your life to live once you stop playing. So mm-hmm. what's the next journey, right? Like what are you going to do next? And so for me, you know, there's a, obviously now that I'm a father, there's a journey in that right? There's a whole new journey in that. There's a journey in, as an actor, like, I'm going to direct, I'm going to produce, I'm going to, I still have people like, when are you going to direct and produce? You know, you, you, and I'm like, yeah, I still got goals as an actor though. Mm -hmm. Right. So for me, the thing I love about what I do is that these goals, there's so many, I still have to achieve. None of them are getting awards. That's not the goal. Right. The goal is to be able to do the kind of projects that you're passionate about, not the kind of jobs that pay you, because there's a difference. Doing what you've done for a living and will continue to do an amazing job of, not only do you have to be talent, but you have to be selective on navigating your roles. Right. So what is the process or strategy that goes into picking the roles that you ultimately decide that you want to be in that film? It's an interesting question because there's, there's actually, it's, it's, the answer is twofold, right? Like there's a strategy in terms of, is this role going to speak to you as an artist? And, or two, is this role going to be something you can be proud of, right? Mm-hmm. And I learned that from Mr. Portier, right? And I read his autobiography before I even got started in all this. And it was abundantly clear that he only wanted to take roles that would technically make his parents proud and push the imagery of the black man forward. That's a concern of mine. Now, it doesn't mean I won't take a challenging role that, you know, may adhere to a stereotype. But if I do, I'm going to be selective about which role that is and why. So when I take a role like the one I took in for Colored Girls, where you know, I'm known for throwing kids out of the window. What I was trying to do was find a way to be responsible about that because that's a very heavy, heavy subject. And what I learned from research was this is a soldier, a former veteran who's struggling with PTSD. And, the, the, and you learn about the veteran's medical system. You understand there's all kinds of problems and there's brothers who are really struggling. and so. That was my approach towards that particular role. And I wanted to make that abundantly clear that I wasn't just some random dude who threw his kids out of the windows. This is someone who's suffering from mental illness and traumatic stress. So again, that's being careful about your selection and making sure that you're not just putting out stereotypes or putting out, you know, imagery that 
that can be um, labeled as such, right? So there's that. And then two, some jobs you got to take because it's like, you know, I got kids, man. I got I to gotta make some money. I got to, you know, keep this going. And then there's other things that you're more passionate about that are like dream projects that, you know, you, you try and put together. And those are the kind of things that you're just genuinely really, really proud of. And regardless of the success, because you just, you got it done. You know what I mean? Like there's certain things you just got to get done for a personal reason. Well, I'm glad you found time for me because you stay busy. You even have a film out right now. Congratulations. Thank you. In the latest film, you're currently starring in Fatal alongside Academy Award winning actress Hillary Swank. Yeah. Tell us more about the film and what is it like working with Hillary? So Fatal is a, you know, noir L.A. thriller, right? And we shot this thing in L.A. a couple years ago and it was an incredible shooting experience. You know, obviously one where I got to work with Deion Taylor for the second time as a director. He's a beast. He's a beast. He's a hustler. He is, he is a hustler. He won't stop. But it's like, I got to work with him a second time because we did Intruder together. And then I got to work with Dante Spinotti, the great cinematographer behind Heat and, and other great films, The Insider. Uh, I got to work with Hilary Swank, who's a two-time Oscar winner. And, you know, you know this as an athlete. You're only going to get better by playing the quote-unquote best, right? So you get an opportunity to, to spar the field mm-hmm. of act, and you get a chance to spar with one of the best, you got to take that opportunity. Exactly. And so that was part of the challenge for me, and that was part of the incentive, rather, for me to you know, step on board this particular film and become you know, this character of Derek Tyler. In addition to that, it was also this element of watching this character just completely get deconstructed throughout the film because he has to go through so much, and he built so much, and then he lost so much. And, you know, I hadn't had a character that had to go through that much in in one movie uh, my entire career. So it it was definitely a step in the right direction for me. Due to COVID, we obviously won't be able to see the film in theaters. So where can we check it out? So right now you can see the movie uh, on demand anywhere that movies are streaming, like from Apple to Roku to Amazon. It's all out there. You can't you kind of can't miss it. It's not on Netflix. So don't think you can stream it on Netflix because Netflix doesn't do on demand like that. So before I let you get out of here, and again, I, I appreciate you for being so gracious with your time. Thank you, man. to do a rapid fire segment that I call Gone in 60 Seconds. Okay. Let's get it. Let's do it. You're a native of the DMV. The Washington football team is in search of a name. Pick the new name. Ah, uh, Yeah. You know, it's got to be tough, right? Like, you want something that's tough. And it's just, you know, senators is not tough. So it's like, you got to come up with something else, you know? Rams, Lions, all that stuff. Bears, all that stuff is taken, so. As a Detroiter, people will argue with me whether the Lions are actually tough or not. That is my squad. (laughs) That is your squad. You know what I'm saying? That is your squad. But one thing I do know you tough at is ping pong. Yeah, So I'm a pong. I'm a pong player, yeah. Who is someone that you feel like even that person could probably be me because they're the, they're so nice. I had to say my man Omar Miller or my man Tory Kittles. Either one of those cats. Those are like <laughs> my top two competition for sure. Star Trek or Star Wars, which is your favorite? Okay, the first three Star Wars. 
I think are just unmatched. <laughs> I got to leave it at that. Along with getting your start on Broadway, give me your favorite production of all time. Okay. I would say when I saw Doubt on Broadway, that was kind of a game changer for me because I watched this production and at the end of that production, I still had doubt. Like, like I remember being like, I don't know what happened. I'd say doubt for sure. Yeah. And last but not least, in a career full of accomplishments, what is something else that you hope to still accomplish? It's on a, on a personal level. I feel like my greatest job has nothing to do with acting or production. My greatest job will be to somehow, some way, raise two kids that give back to society. I don't know if that means they become social workers. Mm-hmm. They don't need to be president, but I want them to contribute individuals that contribute to society and give back to their community. Well, Michael Ely, you're a class act. Thank you, sir. A talented performer. I appreciate you joining me on the Renaissance Man. Please come back to promote anything you have going on at any time. Thank you. Last call. This week's last call is about finding your purpose. Your life purpose consists of the central motivating things in your life. It's the reason why we get up in the morning. Purpose can guide life decisions, influence behavior, shape goals, and offer a sense of direction and create meaning. For some people, their purpose is connected to doing meaningful and satisfying work. If you're wondering, what your purpose is, here's some questions that you need to answer. One, when do I feel most alive? Two, what are my natural talents and skills? Three, what do others say are my special abilities and qualities? Answering these key questions will be beneficial to laying down the foundation to finding your greater purpose in life. And remember, the purpose of life is living a life of purpose. I'm the Renaissance Man. See you next week.